This program contains adult content. Is there a God? A big atheist. Really? What, am I an idiot? Come on. That yes, it would be nice if you could throw your sins and your responsibilities on someone else. But it's not true. It looks like far left lunacy. I don't believe that it's true that religion is moral or ethical. You don't need to follow anybody! It's not human intelligence! If someone doesn't value logical consistency, what logical argument are you going to give them that will demonstrate that they should? Hello and welcome to the Godless Revolution. Today is Wednesday, November... Not first. Where did the, the oh no? It's not November. It's not even November. Gosh, I've, it's not I've even October. Totally fucked us. <laughs> this I'm is traveling, Dan. This is uh, how aware I am of the dates and seasons and stuff lately. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I just gets, I went with gets, November. We have two nights where it drops down in the 40s and all of a sudden it's November. <laughs> oh, fucking... dude, it's been so nice. Oh, dude, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, here it's been getting down like seriously into the 40s. It's been very it nice. Was, it was 52 this morning and I've been going for like walks. Mm, so good. <laughs> okay, so this is uh, my name is Dan Ellis. Hello, everybody. This is episode. Oh, I thought we were going to start from the top on that one. I thought this oh, was no, we just go with it. Today yeah. is September twenty second. Okay. We're gonna we're gonna do it. We're just gonna roll. We'll do it live. God damn it! So this is, I'm Dan Ellis. This is episode three hundred fifty one of the Godless Revolution podcast. Today is actually Wednesday, September twenty second. This is episode three hundred fifty one. I'm joined by uh, Mr. Taylor Grin. Hey, hey, and Mr. Ryan Duffy. You betcha. Ooh-wee. What have you guys been up to? Uh, pain. Well, so much pain. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you weren't with us last week. What happened, man? Oh, dude. I um, I was working out because uh, I'm strong. No, um, <laughs> I was I was working out, and I'm pretty sure that uh, when I was doing some glute bridges, um, that I just went a couple of reps further than I should have, engaged my back instead of my butt. And uh, strained, uh, previously injured part of my back, and um, it was bad. It was my my back was S shaped on both axes. So, hmm. yeah, glute bridges. Is that uh, any relation to bow bridges? I don't know what bow bridges are. <laughs> what? Um, a a uh, a glute bridge is where you're like kind of. You're sitting on your butt. Your knees are kind of like up so that your heels are almost touching your butt, like not quite there. And then you're leaning up against some sort of like box with like a plank against it. So you can form kind of a seesaw. And then you've got like a, a barbell kind of in the, the crease of your hips and you just thrust upward um, using your uh, like your butt muscles uh, as part of the activation, um, basically humping the air with the uh, um, barbell you know, that's, that's providing that weight at that fulcrum and it's supposed to engage your glute muscles and strengthen them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I was just getting fatigued. And so I think that I kind of wiggled around and engaged my lower back muscles instead and, uh, just hurt things. Mm. No, it's banjo. I'm sorry, man. All right. How's it feeling now? A lot better. Mm -hmm. Um, like I, honestly, it's the fastest recovery I've ever had. Um, I spent a few days just laying down and then got up moving around as, as quickly as I could. And I was just trying to do like air squats and walking around and stretching and stuff and went back to see my personal trainer after a few days and, and went through like some, some strengthening and stretching exercises with him. And at this point, like I wouldn't say that I'm at a hundred percent, but like I hit a rowing machine yesterday, which if you had told me, you know, whatever it was seven years ago when I injured it the first time that I'd be able to get on a rowing machine a week after a strain, uh, you know, I would have asked if you were selling bridges too. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad it's feeling better, man. That, yeah. that pain is the worst. Like it really yeah. fucking sucks. Yeah. No, and I, I appreciate you guys. Last week, I heard you talking about it. I actually listened to the episode because um, <laughs> <laughs> you weren't on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I was like, oh, well, I don't know what they're going to say. <laughs> uh, and what about you, Mister Duffy? What have you been up to? Well, I had to go back to fucking work. Oh, no. That's yeah, no fun. But uh, I ended up selling the one chessboard before even putting it up for sale that I made. Then I had someone else call and say, hey, is that chessboard for sale? And I said, yeah, but it, it already sold. Mm -hmm. And like, well, would you be able to make me one? Mm -hmm. So I'm building another chessboard right now. Oh, nice. Nice. Congrats. Uh, yeah. 
always good to be to have your sales set out ahead of even production. That's that's nice. Yeah. And well, yeah. I mean, most of the stuff I do is made for you. So this other chessboard is he wanted it monikered, so it'll have his initials on it. Oh, nice. So yeah, that's pretty cool. Lord. Yeah, that chessboard looked really awesome. Yeah, it came out well. Uh, I still don't have any plans on making the pieces anytime soon because mm-hmm. fuck that work. <laughs> uh well good uh i've just been working a lot always all the times and i'm getting i'm getting fried again our our person who took over a lot of my duties that i one of the jobs that i was doing uh her computer died on her so she's getting that replaced oh. and it's been a week now that she hasn't even been online because she has no computer so I've been doing her job, my job, and last week was covering for somebody else that does very similar things. So I was doing the work of three people, well, more than three people last week. This week is just a little more than two people, but I'm, yeah, still falling further and further behind, and I really fucking hate it. It sucks. Uh, my My one respite is being able to golf every now and then. So I've been doing that. I got this really fucking cool new <laughs> golf cart. It's an electric golf cart. Yeah, it vibrates. Dude, it's so fucking <laughs> badass. It's my MGI uh, Navigator golf cart. It has a remote control. It's battery operated. I just put my golf bag on there and my stuff, and then I can control it. It's my little golf course robot, man. It's so fucking cool. You know, my one question me- for you, does it have a map of the course on it? No. Oh, that'd be cool if you could like GPS to a course map and show you exactly where you are on the course and where the pin is and give you all the measurements. That'd be badass. I've got an app on my phone for that. Uh, you know, that I, makes yeah, me think. <laughs> I um I saw a surveyor going through town uh-huh. uh like sometime within the last month. And he was wearing like obviously some sort of like like locator kind of device on mm-hmm. his on his waist. Mm-hmm. And he had this almost segue looking robot that was just following him around at like a constant distance right like it was always always staying about six feet away from him but would Mm. never like go further than six feet away from him and like if he would stop it would stop and it would just sort of like tail him like a little like kid and i wonder like where the market is for that with like a little golf bag (laughs) carrier kind of thing oh dude well they make yeah well they make so what you're talking about i think is actually advertised on sean carroll's podcast all the time okay Uh, the mindful podcast or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it's called. It's fun. It's a fun podcast. I like Sean Carroll a lot, um, but he advertises it's, and I can't remember the name of the robot, but it just follows you around. And, hmm. and I think it uses Bluetooth technology for that. And they make golf carts that do something similar, but okay. the, the golf cart that does that, that just follows you automatically would is like at least a thousand dollars more than what I paid for the thing I paid for. And gotcha. that was already very pricey. So <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't justify to myself spending another thousand dollars just to have the, just to have it automatically. Follow of, me. Yeah. Yeah. Just so, just so you don't have to put your hand on it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's yeah. like, and the remote control is so cool. And the remote that I have is provides control over the over the cart for twice oh, so you, the distance of the one that would follow me or whatever else. So you can gotcha. like drive the cart to you like remotely with your phone, like a remote control car. It has a remote control on like the, the cart itself has a con- remote control that I use. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's pretty I figured cool. It was just like one where you can just like barely like touch it and it just like kinetically follows like, Oh, it, I feel a little forward pressure. So I'm just going to go where you don't really have to do a whole lot. I didn't know you. Oh yeah. No, dude, I can, Oh. I think the range on it is a hundred meters. I can just send my cart to like the next <laughs> hole or way ahead of me. Like have it just be waiting there with my cold beer. One of the old timey golfers there to like that cart's possessed. <laughs> I feel like someday we're going to see one of those guys with like the Boston dynamics, like spot oh. robots, just following him around like a little like 100%. golf burrow. Oh, for you sure. Know, yeah. just, <laughs> sidling along <laughs> holding some beers and golf clubs mm-hmm. oh yeah i'm sure that's gonna happen oh yeah and and golf will be one of the one of the first places that it shows up because people who play golf disposable income. yeah usually yeah. have a, a fair amount of disposable income because it's not an inexpensive hobby yeah or or you'll have a golf course that can afford to like rent them out 
Oh you yeah, know? yeah. That would no. be a good idea too. Yet yeah, rather than having a like a big driving golf cart, you would just mm-hmm. rent a robot walk. that would carry yeah, your yeah, stuff yeah, around you and walk. Yeah, you just walk, and, and the yeah. robot'll follow oh, you. Yeah, that'd, that'd be, be awesome. That'd be yeah. stocking the shelves in the grocery stores. Hmm. One well, I've seen yeah. other other things that they've got available that you can't use them on every golf course, but they're like they're like long boards almost battery operated long boards that you can strap your golf bag to and then just ride those around on the golf course. Oh. Those are kind of fun. When I was uh, in Qatar, there were certain public spaces that would have these little security robots and like. Don't at me. I don't like Doctor Who, but it looked like those evil Doctor Who robots. I think they're called Daleks. Mm-hmm. Um, like it was just, yeah. it was like a little, you know, kind of trash can looking thing with a dome top and it would just patrol around and had like some cameras on it. And you knew that like if that thing was there and if something was going down, there would be cops at that location in like less than a minute. And it just <laughs> kind of functioned as like an additional sensor. Don't litter. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> they take that shit seriously. I was um I'm part of a running and drinking club called the Hash House Harriers and astoundingly they have a chapter in Doha, Qatar. And so I went on a couple of runs with them while I was out there. And like you better believe real fast you would get some some local security forces asking you like why are you guys just running through here? <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Well, we've got here for fun. (laughs) We've got a very interesting episode lined up. Why don't you tell us what we're going to be doing tonight, Taylor? Um, One of the one of the patrons of the show, uh, Ted Sellen and I have been talking uh, back and forth a lot, um, kind of like in the background about how to better argue with people and how to be persuasive in those arguments Mm -hmm. Um, and really getting down to like arguing by way of yelling at people or arguing by way of, you know, positing two opposing positions and trying to come to a resolution between them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've been meaning to talk about that for a while on the show. And I still haven't constructed like the sort of like (laughs) overarching omnibus that I want to, but I feel like I've gotten to the point where I really need to start talking about it. So I slap something together And uh, so we're going to be introducing that today and there will be follow-up episodes on that idea someday in the future. I'm not promising when, (laughs) but yeah, it's, it's about time that I, I cover what, what you do once you've recognized that the SART quote is a thing. Yeah. Well, cool. I'm looking forward to it. We'll get into that more when we get back from this little break. Hello, everyone. This is Natasha Helfer. I'm a clinical licensed marriage and family therapist and a certified ASECT sex therapist. And I guess I've had the recent experience of getting what I'm lovingly calling sex communicated from my Mormon religion. I'm also the author of the Mormon Therapist blog. I run the Mormon Sex Info and Mormon Mental Health Podcasts. You can find pretty much almost all of my information on natashahelfer.com. And you're listening to The Godless Revolution. And welcome to And As It Is Such, So Also As Such, Is It Unto You. Excuse me, Father Marsala, I hate to interrupt, but I am so excited today. My lovely Anne, she's my daughter, and she's getting married to this good man. Well, and as it is such, so also as such is it unto you, young man. You got it. Unto you as well, dear (laughs) Heavenly Fathers. Well, we have a really great show today surrounding the scripture. We have an announcement to make. I have an announcement to make. At our wedding, I will be performing one of my famous magical illusions. That once your eyes have beholden it, you will put no God before me because of its spectacularity. Thank you to everybody who has rated the show on iTunes and Stitcher and are following us on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. And to all our Patreon patrons, you make the show possible. And welcome back. Um, thanks for covering for me, guys. Uh, last week, I was a hot mess. Um, <laughs> I yeah, did you hear were. you uh, use the Sark quote on Ryan last week, Dan. So as far <laughs> as I'm concerned, like... My work is done. Uh, thanks for having me on for these last few months. I uh, feel like you guys have got it. So I don't, you know, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> no, I have don't to even. say something that eggs on the Sark quote every week now. 
I mean, it's just been it's just been like a like a like a training process to see like, okay, can we convince people that the Republicans are arguing in bad faith? All right. Solid. Moving on to the next podcast. Like, (laughs) oh, yeah. Yeah. No, um, they're terrible. So so this is this is something uh, that's been bothering me, like not not just for the last few months, but for like the last several years slash my entire adult life. Um, I I have a bachelor's degree in communication. Um, when I was in high school, I was a, a national competitor and a state champion uh, at speech and debate. Um, sorry for patting myself on the back for fucking high school shit. I know, I know. Um, but what I'm trying to say is that like, I have always been trying to figure out how people talk to each other. Like what, what is the thinking process that gets involved in how people believe things, how people are convinced of things. That's, that has been my like main line uh, in school Um, to go into, to a story. um, I transferred to Dixie state university when the economy crashed in 2009, because I couldn't afford to keep going to Southern Utah university. Uh, I'd already completed all of a psych degree minus 15 credits worth of electives but DSU didn't have a psych degree program. So I pivoted to communication. Uh, There was a class offered during the summer semester called persuasion. And it was a senior level course that required the junior level communication theory course as a prerequisite. I didn't have that, but I wanted to convince the professor to let me in uh, saying that like, basically my, my psych theory courses gave me the right foundation to be able to do the course without failing. Uh, So I was sitting in the empty like teacher offices. Cause this is the middle of the summer. It's like July. There are no fucking teachers in that room. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm just sitting there playing around with a new iPad. This was the year that iPads were a thing. So I was one of the first people to have one. Uh, and the professor walks in and he's like, Hey, I've been looking to buy one of those. Talk to me about it. And I was like, Hey man, like, it's great. Like I can do typing on it. Uh, it stores as PDFs, all my textbooks. I can watch lectures on video, uh, you know, yada, yada, yada. I'm like, hey, it's a fantastic like one-stop shop for students. Uh, and now I don't have to carry around a backpack. I carry around this. And he's like, all right, cool. I've been thinking about getting one, but they're brand new. So I wanted like somebody to talk to me about it before I pull the trigger. I'm probably going to get one. Mm. And he says to me, why the hell are you here? <laughs> it's the summer. <laughs> and I said, well, here's the deal. I need to meet up with this professor, Eric Young, because I want to get into his persuasion course. And he looks at me, blinks a couple times, and he says, well, you're in. <laughs> <laughs> you persuaded me to buy an iPad. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, oh, so that was the that was the yeah, professor. That, that was the professor for the persuasion course. Oh, nice. Yeah, and and that's how I met the most important professor in my academic career, and probably the man I respect the most in the world. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, uh, he's he's a great guy. Um, I took literally every communication class that he offered, as well as a few more in the program that. Uh, he didn't teach, but I had to take. Um, and I have taken like literally dozens of credits on communication by way of persuading and understanding how people work in groups, uh, uh, the whole, the whole gamut. Right. So when it's, it's um, interesting to me just because I, I'm like the centerpiece in the organization where I communicate between, upper management and frontline managers and their tech leads. And I coordinate a bunch of data for our branch. And it's always interesting to me how easily simple communication can get so twisted so quickly <laughs> because yeah, yeah. like it, unless you are perfectly clear in your instructions, people can willfully, <laughs> willfully and ignorantly act in a way that goes completely counter to what you're trying to get accomplished. And mm-hmm. then they can point to the thing you sent them and go, well, this is what you said. And I say, well, sure. That's what somebody told me to send you. Uh, I should have realized that that wasn't entirely clear and fixed it. So you wouldn't purposely fuck it up. <laughs> right. Right. And that, that kind of legalism is, and, and see, this is why I'm really glad that I took a whole bunch of psychology as well, mm. because one of the things you learn in like child and adolescent development are the stages of moral reasoning mm. and Children will go through this period initially where all of their first, all of their morality is based on what do their parents or other adults in their life tell them to do. Right. And that's just exactly what they're told to do. They do that. And later on, they develop to the stage of rules based morality. And, and at that point, they're legalistic as like 
a fairy queen. You know, if you tell them, well, you're not allowed to walk on like the white kitchen towel, they'll hop around on the black kitchen tiles, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, after that, humans move on to more advanced ways of moral reasoning. But it's really funny to me to see people who don't really fully develop into those further <laughs> levels of moral reasoning in the professional environment mm -hmm. or, you know, deliberately engage in rules-based morality. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that shit's funny. Yeah. Um, anyway, so um, frankly, I've I've been going through a bout of, of depression and uh, had a back spasm. I've been meaning to do an episode on TPUSA, but that's I'm not there. So instead, I wanted to put something together that I'm like familiar with, something that's easy for me, but it's also something I realized that like people need to hear. It's the other half of the Sark quote mentality. Okay. So let's read the Sark quote one more time. Um. <laughs> Never believe that anti-Semites are completely unaware of the absurdity of their replies. They know that their remarks are frivolous, open to challenge, but they are amusing themselves, for it is their adversary who is obligated to use words responsibly, since he believes in words. Anti-Semites have the right to play. They even like to play with discourse, for, by giving ridiculous reasons, they discredit the seriousness of their interlocutors. They delight in acting in bad faith, since they seek not to persuade by sound argument, but to intimidate and disconcert. If you press them too closely, they will abruptly fall silent, loftily indicating by some phrase that the time for argument is past. Mm -hmm. I've said this a lot on the show. Uh, mm -hmm. The reason why I use this quote is because at its core, it speaks to the bad faith that the right operates with. Every single one of us here and listening to the show has experienced it. You're on Facebook or in the office and some anti-vaxxer or red cap starts down a spurious line of reasoning. You engage, but the bullshit asymmetry principle comes into play. And no matter how much data you bring, they can rattle off more bullshit with less effort than you can counter. And in the end, they're unconvinced, you're frustrated, and everyone else sees you as either foolish for engaging in the first place or foolish for being unable to answer every one of that guy's spurious arguments. Yeah, my You've newest lost. Yeah. My newest thing I hate is well, I've done my research. You just need to do more. Oh. It's like what you did is not research. You're spewing the bullshit someone else said. Yep. Yep. Like everyone in this conversation has told you how that is fucking false. Mm -hmm. You're just but regurgitating you, talking points that somebody point. else gave you that sound smarter than you are. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And you believe those talking points, even though you can't back it up one iota. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so don't engage, right? If you can't convince a red cap, why engage with them? Well, for one, if the rhetoric goes unchallenged, it'll start to sink in. Mm -hmm. Research shows that repetition creates believability. So seeing an argument repeatedly made and unchallenged makes onlookers slowly start to take that position for granted, no matter how absurd the argument looks. That's the fundamental reason why things like the big lie or the fire hose of falsehoods models of propaganda work. Brute force repetition. Uh huh. Wasn't it Bush who said basically you just keep saying the same thing until everybody believes it? Mm -hmm. Same with Goebbels. Yeah. 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 But the only problem with that now is whenever I keep hearing that stuff, you know, you argue with a few people once in a while on it. You try to show them their faults. When nobody believes it, you just start going, fuck you. That's a fucking lie. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. that doesn't go anywhere. I'm well, smash you so now. what I'm hoping to do today is to introduce some like better ways to deal with that problem. Mm hmm. Um, so that so that Dan doesn't get banned from Facebook for calling somebody a knuckle dragging fuck stick. I, I hope yeah. so. Yes, yes. We should minimize the times that we call people knuckle dragging fuck sticks. Oh, damn it. All right. Um, so communication studies, aside from being a you know nice, easy A degree, if you're in the sports department, uh, is also a serious science for people who put the work in. Uh, it has many domains, but there are three that are relevant to what I want to talk about today. There's interpersonal communication, and that deals with models of how we talk to other individuals and how our meaning is conveyed. It deals with verbal and nonverbal, symbolism, signal, noise, subtext, pretext, context, relationships, culture, and so much more. It's a two-way model. You and the other person providing a message to the other person, you know, a signal, noise interfering with that. They receive it. They provide feedback, and then they communicate signal to you. Um. That's what's happening when you debate with somebody one-on-one. -on -one. 
Mm-hmm. And then there's mass communication, right? Uh, it's got a broadcast model for the most part because the primary direction of communication is from one entity communicating to many. But there's feedback from the crowd that finds its way back to the broadcaster. That's what we're doing literally right now. Uh, mm-hmm. We're making a podcast for you guys and you guys comment on our Facebook page or text us or whatever. Uh, the problem is, is that it's really hard to persuade people using mass media these days. Uh, red caps use, uh, uh, sorry, red caps get caught in what are called deliberative enclaves because the internet now enables people to like isolate themselves and whatever their special interest groups are. They only communicate with each other and they remove the influence of outgroups. It's hard to breach that bastion. But the model I want to talk about today is group communication, especially small group communication. It's a multipolar model where at any given time, some people are speakers, other are receivers, and simultaneously, some people are listening to the main speaker, but are also receiving nonverbal or verbal communication from other members of the group. What the fuck does that word salad mean, right? <laughs> let's, think about, <laughs> let's think about a meeting, right? The person running the meeting is giving a speech. You're listening, but you're also watching other people in the room. The brown nus, uh, sorry, the brown noser is listening intently. The slacker is doodling. Someone next to you whispers, wondering if you want to get lunch at the taco truck that just popped up. You're seeing interest, disinterest, distraction, and more, all of which contributes to noise interfering with the signal of what the speaker is communicating, but also social proof. Mm-hmm. If the rest of the audience is attentive, you will be too. You'll be more convinced by the speaker's point, and you'll acquire the information better. If everyone else is disinterested, you're going to be more likely to be disinterested or discount their argument. Mm-hmm. The same thing goes for debates, and that's why it's important to engage with red caps, even though you can't persuade them. Back when I used to coach high school debate, uh, I would present the students with this scene from a movie, Thank You for Smoking. And I think it's really informative of what I'm going for. So what happens when you're wrong? Joey, I'm never wrong. But you can't always be right. Well, if it's your job to be right, then you're never wrong. But what if you are wrong? Okay, let's say that you're defending chocolate and I'm defending vanilla. Now, if I were to say to you, Vanilla is the best flavor ice cream. You'd say? No, chocolate is. Exactly. But you can't win that argument. So, I'll ask you. So you think chocolate is the end-all and be-all of ice cream, do you? It's the best ice cream. I wouldn't order any of it. Oh, so it's all chocolate for you, is it? Yes, chocolate is all I need. Well, I need more than chocolate. And for that matter, I need more than vanilla. I believe that we need freedom and choice when it comes to our ice cream. And that, Joy Naylor, that is the definition of liberty. But that's not what we're talking about. Ah, but that's what I'm talking about. But you didn't prove that vanilla's the best. I didn't have to. I proved that you're wrong. And if you're wrong, I'm right. But you still didn't convince me. It's that I'm not after you. I'm after them. Pointing to the audience. And that that part of debate becomes so frustrating. I, I know... The one formal debate that I've done uh, as an atheist activist was with a couple presuppositionalist argumenters. Mm-hmm. I was there. <laughs> uh, God. And it's just, it's so frustrating because they walk in basically with this principle in mind and say that because, because God is the person who has given you the tools to even communicate in the first place, that that means he exists. And so by default, you lose. That's mm-hmm. that's yeah. the stupidest fucking I get so frustrated by it. Well, but all I, they I, have to do is prove that you're wrong and that makes them right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 That's what they're doing. Yep. Yep. And that's what red caps are doing. Right. That's what anti-vaxxers are doing. All they have to do um, when when we would do debate and I'm going off script here, I'll try and do it briefly. When we would do debate, uh, especially stuff like Lincoln Douglas. Right. You would make a number of points for your position. And typically the judge would list out those points right across a board mm-hmm. and your opponent would make counterpoints. Uh, well, the opponent would make their own points and they would try to counter your own points. And part of the scoring system was to see whether or not if you drew a line from one side of the board to the other over the course of the four rounds argued, if there were any points left uncountered by one side or the other by the end of the debate. Mm-hmm. And it's it's easily gamed. In the NFL uh, National Forensics League, like debate system, right? There are there's so much meta that goes into that that it almost doesn't resemble actual argumentation anymore. <laughs> but fundamentally, uh, 
that's how people think, right? If they see an argument between two people and one person isn't addressing all of the arguments by the other person, they're going to see the person who has the most arguments left on knockdown as the winner. Mm -hmm. Even if those arguments are not even at all tied to the main topic of anything, like it could, right. like I could lose a debate by somebody asking me the color of various items around the room because I would fuck it up because I'm colorblind and it has yeah. nothing to do <laughs> right. with what we're here to talk about. Right. I'm not after you. I'm after them. Right. Or, or changing the definition of what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, well, well this is what I think that is. Well, that's not what that is mm -hmm. to everyone else, but you, and now you're. Well, and a big part of this <sighs> seems to be that you need to identify and know your audience, right? Like you have to know the types of people oh, yeah. that are going to be in attendance so that you can address not only the person that you're conversing with or, or having a debate with, but mm -hmm. how that audience that's going to be in attendance would best receive any message mm -hmm. that you have. And, and that is critically important when you're going into a debate that you are preparing for. Mm -hmm. uh, but the like kind of next level shit is being able to adapt to um, like basically reading your audience the way that a comedian or a musician might, mm -hmm. right? When you're performing before an audience that you haven't been able to know in advance, mm -hmm. right? And that's something that you have to learn to do is to, to learn to read the expressions of the people who are watching you while you're debating with someone so that you can adjust your tone and argumentation according to their reactions. And that just takes practice. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, there's no way to get used to that. But I'm, I'm not trying to set up this episode to teach listeners how to be better at like a formal debate where they'll be in front of a formal audience and in, in like seats mm -hmm. right what i'm hoping to do is to tailor this to the average listener who might get into an argument at work or church well not church um at a picnic, <laughs> bar. you know or yeah at Family a bar union right at a yeah um those those are the people that I want to teach you. Those are the skills I want to, to give you because you're going to know how your family is going to react mm -hmm. to your being more aggressive or inquisitive, right, mm -hmm. in terms of your tone. Mm -hmm. And at the other side of this break, I'm going to get into the first of some of the skills I'm going to teach towards that end. I'm Bryce Barkenagel. Have you ever wondered if Joseph Smith was drugging the early Mormons? Turns out it might be possible when you have a Fantastic congregation that is witnessing angels floating around in the rafters and think that the temple is on fire and they're running out in the snow and writhing around on the ground naked? Yeah, as it turns out, drugs might be the best explanation. Be sure to check out my Sunstone Symposium presentation on the Joseph Smith Entheogen Theory by punching that into any YouTube browser. And thank you so much for checking that out, and be sure to check out the Naked Mormonism podcast. This is the Godless Revolution. This is my father, Pastor Terry Veal. Hello. Oh, Pastor. I uh, I didn't I didn't know. You didn't tell me. I, I didn't know you didn't. People treat you so differently when they find out you're a man of God. Oh, believe me, I know. Oh, are you a church-going man? I am. Sometimes. Yes, I don't go religiously. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a nut about it. Because there is no such thing as a nut when it comes to religion, Pastor. I've met a few. And, uh, I'm sure if you look a, a little bit closer, you'll find some very earnest people that are just doing their best. What are you doing, Dad? I'm not sure. Why don't you two kids run along and let us get to know each other a little bit better? Thank you. If you have questions, comments, concerns, compliments, corrections, criticisms, or concepts for content, contact the show via email at godlessrevolution at gmail.com, by text or voicemail at 330-81-REBEL, or Twitter the twatter at TGR Podcast. Thank you. All right. Uh, welcome back. So getting right into it, red caps don't want to convince you either. They want to play their game with you. They want to bully you. They want to set you up as a weeble wobble and knock you down and see how many times you'll get back up. They don't care. They don't care that their arguments are spurious. And when you press them too hard, they'll drop an I'm just saying, bro, or everyone has a right to their own opinion, or you're taking this too seriously. Or it's a joke, Look, man. Everybody's I'm just telling jokes. What's the problem? Yeah, Do your research. It's my opinion. And then um, they block you on Facebook. Mm -hmm. So you're going to look like you have a stick up your ass. You're going to look like you're not tolerant enough. And most importantly, you're going to look like you can't answer all of their arguments. And it looks like they have more good reasons than you. Steve Bannon would say, if you're explaining, you're losing. If you're defending, you're losing. You have to go on the offense always. That walking boil isn't right. 
but <laughs> you can't win a gish gallop with a red cap because the right has more and tighter propaganda talking points than the left does by default. The truth in any given manner is a single explanation found by consensus by experts. The vaccine reduces hospitalizations for COVID 11 fold. One point. The vaccine causes infertility. People uh, still get COVID when they have the vaccine. The vaccine has 5G Bill Gates chips. The vaccine causes autism. The vaccine isn't necessary. I'm healthy. I don't live in fear. I don't need a vaccine. I have autonomy. You can't tell me to take a vaccine. The vaccine was made with aborted fetuses. And so on. And on and on and on. (laughs) You can't possibly anticipate all of the new and varying bad faith positions you'll encounter when trying to persuade people of the truth. And you absolutely will not convince a red cap. It's not worth trying. Life is not an Aaron Sorkin film. And I really hate those shows because they convey a false image of how persuasion happens. Never in the history of fucking ever has a liberal given an inspirational speech leading to a conservative accepting their position in a moment of clarity. It takes many, many instances of their worldview being challenged in an indirect way. Mm -hmm. Someday I'll tell the story of how that happened with me. Yes. So when you debate a red cap, you need to assess your situation. Are you in the meat space or cyberspace? Are you one on one or is there an audience? In-person arguments are always more impactful because of nonverbal communication, which makes up, according to some assessments, about 70% of real information conveyed. In cyberspace, you're competing with a lot more attention distractors and you don't have the benefit of nonverbal communication. Additionally, you've got an uncaptivated audience. They can come and go. But on the other hand, online, it's easier to call up and present sources and data unless you have a really good memory when you're arguing in person and if you can keep a cool head during an actively going discussion. There's a saying, most plans don't survive first contact with the enemy. You can have all the speeches and data and whatever you want prepared. And the red cap is still going to pull out some Breitbart bullshit that you haven't expected. So for today's lesson, we're going to stick to basics. Bottom line, if you get nothing else out of this podcast right here, make your own positive argument and stick to it. I'm going to say it again. Make your own positive argument. Present your position. And stick to that. Do not let them pull you away into some sidetrack bullshit. Well, the vaccine turns frogs gay. There's no, no, there's no data to support that. The data only supports that only 3% of people are, uh, who are hospitalized right now from COVID are unvax, or are vaccinated, right? 97% of people with COVID right now. Uh, are unvaccinated. Mm-hmm. And even those people who are vaccinated are significantly less to die from that COVID. Well, people are still getting it then. So it's useless. Why take it? Well, obviously it's not useless. You're far less likely to die. Seatbelts don't stop all car deaths, but they significantly reduce the likelihood of death in an accident. Take the vaccine because even if you do get sick, you'll still be safer. Well, but vaccine injury happens. It's barely a thing, dude. Again, Statistics are not what your cousin's mom's brother's girlfriend said. There are eight cases of adverse effects from the J&J out of the first eight million shots. The reason was then identified and treatment was enacted for it. One in 100 people who get COVID die from it compared to one in one million from J&J. And now that side effect is treated. So you're far safer taking the vaccine. Mm-hmm. So yeah. this is a common uh, technique that I learned doing car sales. Uh, it's yeah, called addressing objections. Guy. <laughs> I mean, Sorry. yes, fair, but like, got bills got to be paid. <laughs> got to practice that communication skill somehow. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it, it's called addressing objections. You acknowledge the objection, conduct a short, authoritative response, negating the objection, and follow up with a call to action. And you need to follow that formula every single time. Address the objection, conduct a authoritative response. Follow up with positing your positive position. The thing is, most of the people in the audience, that is, most of the people who are watching you argue with the other person, have seen an exchange like this before. But they're so used to the pro-vaxxer being the one to make the arguments from authority and issuing just so positions. What you need to do is keep a cool head and a consistent stance. What do you mean? What is a just so position? Um, a just so as position is when they assert something as though it's a fact without actually saying that, like without ever justifying that as a fact. So they would say, oh, well, yeah, everyone knows that the Chinese like developed uh, the you know Wuhan flu and they just continue on as though that's like real. Right. Or or like Trump does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well and I've, I've seen somebody recently make 
a similar assertion that they basically just said, well, you know, most people know that it was that it was made mm-hmm. in a lab and, and escaped from a mm-hmm. from a lab in Wuhan, that this was intentionally yeah. made and just escaped. And it's like, right. no, dude, that's most people don't agree with that you're you're yeah. you're listening mm-hmm. probably most of the people that you're fucking listening to because you listen to shitty stupid people <laughs> but mm-hmm. that's not the majority of scientists or virologists or epidemiologists mm-hmm. who are studying this that's not what they yeah. say well and and the the example that comes most readily to me is is where people take for granted something right so so it totally off subject but like uh you know you're a kid in school and the teacher comes up and says to a girl hey you need to cover your shoulders the spaghetti straps are inappropriate right mm-hmm. which presumes that shoulders are sexual objects which presumes that um sexuality is bad which presumes that um kids shouldn't be attracted to people of their own age group right which presumes that having feelings of sexuality are a bad thing in the first place and then presumes that even though that may or may not exist amongst the kids that it's not the responsibility of the person who is being attracted needs mm-hmm. to keep that in check and continue about their schoolwork, right? Mm-hmm. There's a whole chain of presumptions that all come from one corrupted just so position, which is sexuality is bad. Mm-hmm. And so we need to adjust this person's behavior rather than, yeah, it's mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. kids are going to like be kids. Um, so that's a just so position. Um, so when you're uh, presenting to an argu- uh, audience that, you know, is used to seeing the like anti-vaxxer, uh, um, sorry, let me, let me back up. Um, normally when an audience sees a pro-vaxxer, they're used to that, uh, uh, pro-vaxxer arguing from a position of authority. You should take this vaccine because Fauci says so, or the CDC says so, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that appeal is not going to work to everyone. You need to have a cool head and a consistent stance. Um, you need to not look like you're whining or begging your opponent to do the right thing. In the case of vaccines, you need to adopt a position that presumes that the vaccines are the right thing to do and make your opponent look silly for not doing it. In sales, we call it assuming the sale. Mm -hmm. You need to position yourself so that they have to argue against your position so that they're on the defensive. And remember, you don't have to convince your opponent. You have to convince the group looking at you. The moment that the anti-vaxxer starts to get mad, you've won. You beat them at their own game. Find a way to now disengage, right? Graciously accept the win. Move on to something else. Talk about football. You've convinced the audience and you want to quit before you're mud wrestling and make yourself look bad. So there's two argumentative techniques that I think are useful guidelines in doing this. Uh, Two of them I've talked to, to Ted, um, our Patreon patron, uh, that I recently are the Socratic method and what I call arguing beside. So the Socratic method is going to be familiar to some of our listeners, but I'm going to readdress it in case you haven't heard of it, um, or haven't had it explained. What you do is you ask questions of your opponent, seeking to expose inconsistencies in their data, argument, morals, or all of the above. Uh, what you're looking to do is basically ask why like a kid until they can't give you a good answer. Mm-hmm. This method is really effective when you yourself have a good handle on the data of the subject matter and have good experience in controlling your responses and adding leading questions. But it can backfire on you if you have an experienced or particularly crazy opponent who can reply in ways that will derail you. Uh, you find this a lot, Dan, in arguments with presuppositionalists because they have myriad ways of answering one of your questions with a complex argumentation that boils down to because God made things that way. Mm-hmm. Don't use a Socratic method with presuppositionalists. Or they just straight up make bold-faced lies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, be really familiar with pointing out when an opponent is taking information for granted. Why do you believe the earth is flat? Well, because the seas are level. Well, yeah, but I can balance a small level on a basketball and with a large enough surface area uh, and a small enough level, it's going to look flat. Now, normally the flat earther is going to assert the sale argument. Um, sorry, sorry. Normally the the like person who believes the earth is properly globe uh, shaped is, is going to just assert the sale argument. But instead you ask it as a question. You ask the flat earther, how can you explain if the earth is flat? Why ships disappear on the horizon from the bottom up, just like they would if they're moving over a slope caused by the Earth's curvature. They might retort with some bullshit about lensing, 
But what you're doing is prompting ever more absurd and unfounded justifications from your opponent rather than letting them control their narrative, which means they can't rely on the surface level, well-polished talking points and instead have to use the convoluted justifications that they have for their absurd positions. It's most effective in one-on-one debates, but it does have some use in persuading onlookers if you can get your opponent maneuvered into sufficiently absurd-sounding replies. Mm -hmm. The other method I like is what I call standing beside. I would say that it's, it's maybe less of a method and more of a tone. I'm not really sure the best way to describe it. But imagine this, right? When you're arguing with someone, there's an adversarial tone and stance. Think about your argument. You're squaring off with them, right? Your bodies are facing each other chest to chest. Your shoulders are parallel and you're either making or avoiding eye contact. It's a fighting stance, right? By standing this way, you're engaging in the lizard brain fight or flight. But now imagine that you're standing perpendicular to someone. You both have to turn your heads to talk to each other. Your backs are partially exposed and you're both facing in a common outward direction. I know it sounds like sales pitch bullshit, but it's so much harder for a person to stay in a fight or flight mode when you adjust your body this way. I've literally been able to reposition a person across a room who is insistent on being angry with me. And every few sentences I said, I would sidestep and turn to their side um, or, or, or canter my body off to the side. And they would try to readjust to face off at me directly. And we moved across the room. Furthermore, he couldn't continually escalate because in the background of his mind, he was trying to stay facing me the way that he wanted to face me. And he got flustered. <laughs> right. So now I'm not trying to teach you how to like Donald Trump yank arm shake somebody in the middle of a debate. Right. <laughs> it's not about dancing around like an idiot. Um, the reason why I call my method the stand beside method is because of the other component. When you're de-escalating an argument, you don't just stand beside the person to unsquare off. You start adopting we language and you overtly assume good faith and great expectations on behalf of your opponent, even if they have neither. Come on, Frank. You and I both know that natural news is a crappy source. I mean, look, yeah, it agrees with you with this point here about vaccines, but they also have an article about how avocado juice adjusts your chakras. We both know that you're smarter than that. Now, Frank, you're fine with the FDA approving the beer that we're drinking so it doesn't make us go blind, but you're not going to trust their data uh, on this particular vaccine. Well, Frank might reply, will you just trust something that they made in a year? Oh, come on, Frank, dude, you know that it's not like that. You're too smart to think that this is brand new, uh, that they're using tech that's already been in development. You know that each iPhone isn't the, you know, brand new made just this last year. They're building on each phone that came before it. And that's the same way that vaccines are made. You know that. Well, they're just faking the data. They want people to die. Come on, Frank. What possible profit motive could a drug company have for having less patience? Hell, take ivermectin. Pfizer owns it. If Pfizer was smart, they'd encourage people to use it, even if it didn't work. Hell, even if it makes people shit their own intestine linings out, because then they could sell the cure to shitting your intestine linings out. <laughs> but instead, they're telling people on their website not to take ivermectin for COVID. What ulterior motive is there, Frank? It's hard not to attack them or call them dumb or act or even to pretend that you're friends with a red cap. But... You need to treat them like they're too clever, too savvy to be taken in by bad arguments. Walk them through the better way of thinking, uh, presuming that that's how they must think themselves. To the opponent, you take them off guard because now you're not fighting. You're not yelling at them. And to onlookers, you look gracious and conciliatory. So, yeah. so I, I want to say oh, with that, yeah, with, that we, with that we one, uh, is it appropriate? Like I, I like to do the de-escalation off the front with being like, Hey, we both agree on this and this. Oh, and yeah. This absolutely. And this. Like we have so much in common with this stuff. We both want to have the same outcome, mm -hmm. but like we might disagree on how it should happen, but we well, want and, the same thing to happen. And that's effective. I think that the, the preparatory work that you need to do for that though. Um, and again, in car sales, we call this like getting to yes is where you want them to agree with you on a few other positions first by way of priming. And yeah. so you'll say like, hey, you and I both agree that like we need to wear our masks when we're firefighting because some of the chemicals that we're exposed to could give us lung cancer, right? And you trust that mechanism, right? You, you know that like when we got deployed to the Middle East, we had to take our, our anthrax vaccines, right? And even though those gave us hell of fucking side effects, like... Yeah. We didn't get anthrax, right? And and you get Frank to agree with you. Yeah. You know, yes. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And then you move on and say, well, come on, dude. Like, 
you and I have been on the same page for all of these things. Do you really think that I'm trying to like bamboozle you? Yeah, nah, man. Like you and I well, are, are should be on the same page with this. Well, my newest argument for mask wearing is saying, well, I, I hate the one of people like, well, you have to wear this mask for this and this for this. And a piece of cloth is going to protect you from this virus. I'm like, well, it protects enough doctors in the hospitals from giving their patient a, a disease while they got an open wound. Mm-hmm. Like if it's okay for a doctor to wear a mask and not transmit anything from them to the patient while they're doing surgery, I think it's okay for a virus that would be transmitted the same way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, I do think it's the right thing. Yeah. 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 And, and like the more technical way that you want to do that too, is to remind them that it's not like the virus, which is microns wide, but that the virus rides in water the saliva. Which are, yeah. Yeah. Which, they don't yeah. care about but that. Again, but again, that's you, where the like knowing your facts comes into play. Yeah. And, and honestly, like the, the takeaway from this should be more about form than content, mm-hmm. right? Like, cause you're going to have all kinds of debates, right? You're going to have, uh, flat earth debates, vaccine debates, uh, Hunter yep. Biden debates, you know, and all of that bullshit, right? They're so, most likely going to be impromptu. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to see it coming. So what you need to know is, is form. And, and I plan to do more of these to teach more forms over time. Um, I know that this was kind of meandering, uh, and that in the future, I want to put together a little bit more refined segments for these. Uh, I'm presently reading a couple of books. Uh, one that's about how to talk to science deniers and another one that's about how to talk to conspiracy theorists. But I do need to take the time to actually read them, finish them, uh, and then compare them against my own education and experience and like kind of break down the, best practices that they lay out as well as just textbooks that I've had sitting around the house and actually put together some, you know, segments from now, uh, uh, for now and then to help you guys out. Mm -hmm. So give us some feedback. Let us know if any of this was useful, uh, especially let us know if you've done any of this, uh, in the wild and tell us how it went. Uh, but with all of that being said, uh, I think it's about time to wrap this up and, uh, give our thanks to our Patreon subscribers. Definitely. Thank you for that, man. That was some fantastic, very helpful information. That yeah, I, I hope so. I hope it was not too convoluted. No, no. I think I think you hit on some really specific things that people can do to help in their communications with people when they're trying to convince them of something. Uh, esp- well, and especially knowing that you're not necessarily even trying to convince them. You're trying to convince more the people who are watching silently mm-hmm. the the conversation that's going on the lurkers the people who are sitting in the gallery watching reading your mm-hmm. comments back and forth or listening to you yeah. So. Just, yeah just don't go back and listen to the old episode where we had an accidental anti-vaxxer on the show when we pulled a macula <laughs> hunting and just hung the fuck up on him <laughs> <laughs> oh that's a blast from the past <laughs> yeah, yeah i i could have uh remained much more calm during that but that will i'll wrap things up for the show before we go i want to make sure that we do thank our patreon supporters that would be two skeptical chaps alan firth don't be a richard hunter grin john mccullough ollie olson sinead duffy steve kuno steven andrus tiffany hudson vanessa Corey ebert jeff peterson jeremy goodson matthew sanders megan mitchell the guy that asks questions before he finishes the show. Alex Jones, Gay Frog Brigade. Utah Outcasts. Wesley Aaron. Freethinker215. Janet Uter. Purple Dragon. Sarah Segovia. Savita Kuna. Theodore Sellen. Tim Jacobson. Trisha Weir. Noble Spirit and Biggins the Smallest Man. A perfectly cromulent statement. And James, thank you so much. I saw you laughing there, Dan. <laughs> I'm giggling because we didn't even set out an order I this know, week. I did it to myself this week. <laughs> I, I've finally been going back and listening to episodes from like June. <laughs> I'm so far behind on our own show because I was like, I record it, you know, and uh, I already heard it. I was at some of the earlier ones where, where Ryan, you were still fucking it up and yeah. I had a good laugh. <laughs> I fuck up words. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you guys very much. Thanks for putting this together, Taylor. Thank you both for joining yeah. me for this tonight. Thank you, dear listener, for listening. If you would like to become a Patreon supporter, you can do so easily by going to patreon.com slash godlessrevolution, where you can contribute as little as $1 per episode, and then you get bonus episodes, early releases of episodes, extended episodes, extended outtakes, clips from the cutting room floor, all kinds of stuff like that. Um, and it helps us keep the show going, so we really appreciate it. 
That's it for me. I have to go back to work now. Yeah, that sucks. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm gonna go play with wood glue. <sighs> you can't I... sniff. It doesn't have an odor. <laughs> I can't really go to sleep.